I'm just going with the flow. So, You're listening to Three Wise Truck Guys from Key Advisors. Welcome, uh, everybody, to the Three Wise Truck Guys. This is episode number eight, coming live to you from Lawrence, Kansas, in the bunker of my house. This is Keith Ely, and uh, I'd like to uh, welcome the other two wise guys, Mark Martinsick. How you doing, y'all? Good, Mark. And you? I'm doing really good. Uh, again, bunkered down in Birmingham, Alabama, but uh, uh, but I'm starting to get used to it. I don't know if that's good or bad. So. <laughs> and uh, we've got our third wise guy, John Whitnell, in his new bunker. Wise truck guy, right? Is that wise truck guy? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So I'm good here in Fort Worth. Thanks for asking. Uh, good. And we're gonna have a special guest here with us after a while so uh looking forward to bringing him on you know, we've spent the last two podcasts gentlemen talking about lean and six sigma we've talked a lot talked a lot of theoretical i know we've talked we've uh discussed some about application into the real world but our our guest is going to uh bring us up to date on how he uses lean and six sigma in uh, some of his dealership engagements <clears throat> but before we start with uh, with him and we bring him on, you know we always have kicked off the uh, three wise truck guys with the best and worst that we've seen over the last period of time. And so, Mark, I'm going to uh, I'm going to flip it to you. Tell us the best thing you've seen in the last month. Your exposure to dealerships. You know, Keith, uh, uh, it's changing times, obviously, with this COVID thing going on. And I, and I have to say, the best I've seen are the dealers that are not letting the the um, this pandemic control them, but are being proactive and calling customers and reaching out to customers, finding new products to sell customers. And um, uh, while their sales in in uh, fixed operations are down a bit, um, and and uh, new and used is down probably a little bit more, they're being proactive to uh, stay in touch with their customers. They're working on their processes to per- perfect them and take better care of customers. So as this thing comes back, uh, uh, they're able to exceed expectations and keep moving forward and uh, and, and showing great leadership, I think, uh, throughout it. So uh, that's the best I've seen. And quite frankly, the worst I've seen is those dealers that are reacting uh, and letting it control them and their decisions. So... Uh, I think the dealers that are being proactive will come out stronger once we start coming out of the other side. Sounds good. John, how about you? You know, I'm going to build on uh, on what Mark said because I think uh, the best I've seen is not just those that uh, have been managing the short term, but I think the best that I've seen, Keith, is uh, there's a number of dealers that have already come to the conclusion that their world has changed and it's never going to change back, and they're starting to rethink uh, things like facilities, right? I mean, the facility uh, business, the truck sales business has gone on with limited use of the facility. And there's just a, a tangible example of uh, there's going to be a lot of things in this business that change going forward, uh, that, that change, be- that have changed because of this pandemic, but they're not going to change back. And, uh, and so some of the most exciting things I've seen is those dealers that are trying to get their arms around the fact that uh, wh- what is it that's going to change that won't change back and trying to, in the midst of all this disruption and upheaval, uh, position their business for future success. 
that's 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 been exciting to see. Have you seen any worst that you'd comment on? Yeah, you know, I'm gonna. And I'm, I, I hate to give Mark too much credit here, but I really liked his response. Uh, you know, if you're caught reacting, and uh, in the, and many many are. Uh, uh, probably the most significant example of uh, this that I've seen is people have let their sales force go because they could make more money on state unemployment than they could uh, working at the dealership. I think uh, that's uh, probably a real mistake. And uh, one of the things that I've seen that sure had me scratching my head. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go right in line with what the two of you said in regards to best. And it's a parts department that, you know, if, uh, a year ago, if you looked at it, you'd say, wow, this, this department is really, really struggling. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. one that is just, uh, you know, they, they can't find a part. They don't know. They don't know if, if it's on the shelf, all these things. And, uh, now over the last six months, they've really, really adapted to not just, not just uh, getting better, but I mean they're exceptional, and they're, they've done it. They've done it utilizing technology of 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 training and, and educating their people remotely. And uh, when we started this back in November, I really wasn't sure how this was going to work. And uh, you know, I I am just so impressed with what they've been able to do from the remote learning, the remote engagement, and I shouldn't say remote, the virtual engagement. Uh, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're engaged with them every week, but we're not on site and they've adapted to that so well. And, and now they're, they're in the next phase of not just adapting to this virtual learning environment. They're taking this and, and, and taking what they're learning and taking uh, the, the the approach, John, that you talked about. What does this look like when it when we're done? You know, they're not sure, but they're they're starting to figure a few things out. And and their business is down. You know, we get these updates every week that that Amber pulls of the eighty or so locations with repair order counts and parts tickets, and they're down, but they're not down as much as as some of the others. And and I would I would tell you that that's a reflection on the the leadership of that of that parts department and the dealership group. Um, you know the the uh, the flip side of that, and again I, I I'll chime in very much what Mark and John said, but is the idea of this hunkering down and trying to expense our way to uh, to 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 living, and um, it just you can tell the toll that that that's taking on the the workforce uh you know the the lack of communication and guidance um i I look at our little company and one of the things that we've really as a group of of leaders have tried to do is communicate with with our team as to where we're headed and i hope we've done a pretty good job i think uh, i think we've done a pretty good job of that i don't think anybody's been surprised, but, uh, well, you look at some of the, some of our, um, relationships and, and people they know and the, the, the anecdotal stories you hear about, um, really not engaging and really not trying to plan for what might be happening, but pulling all their horns in and, uh, uh, just reacting. And I just think that that's, I understand it. Boy, do I understand it. But uh, 
I think it's it's something that you've got to work your way through. And John, to your point, how do we start to 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 mold an organization for for what this is going to be coming out, even though we may not know exactly what it looks like. That's right. Hey, Mark, we we've spent uh, the last the last two times just talking about the, the lean and six Sigma, you want to just refresh us again with uh, uh, what the basic lean concept means. Well, rather than go through it all, I just want to come back to the cycle that we've talked about of, of focusing on customer needs and identifying the value that we provide for the customer and obviously removal of waste. You know, that cycle just had five easy steps, identifying value, mapping that value stream so that you can see the waste in your process as, as well as the value to the customer. Trying to create flow in whatever department or, or whatever your goal or organization is uh, for efficiency's sake and, and shorter downtimes for the customers and so forth. Okay, and do that all with your team, with your organization, pulling it up, uh, showing teaching operational awareness to every team member uh, so that they're aware of what the goals are, they know what their specific role is in achieving those goals, and they, they know exactly what their daily duties and daily output needs to be and so forth, and the coaching that goes with that. And, uh, and if it's working, okay, then it's about continuous improvement and you start to cycle over again. You know, a, a, a uh, quick example might be that I'm trying to uh, uh, focus on technician efficiency or proficiency or productivity. Uh, it, let's say we're talking about productivity, which is keeping a tech in his bay working on a truck, and uh, I'm at 80%, uh, which is a fair job, fair job, not a great job by any means, okay, but a fair job. And uh, uh, I know I want to get to the low 90s, say I want to get to 92, 93%. Well, if I set that as the goal immediately, it, I'm going to be a loser for a long time because there's a lot of things that have to be done to get there. But if I set a goal to move at 2% or 3% and get an idea that's even close to what I think needs to be need to be where we want to go, then I go through the cycle, implement that idea. If we see some improvement, I go back through the cycle and, and continue to try and and move the needle more and more. So in a nutshell, lean is about culture. It's about involving the, the whole team. It's about engagement and coaching. It's about leadership, but leadership of pulling it up through the through the people. And I'm excited to have our special guest today because I think he's gonna talk about some real world real world examples of how this is done. I agree. Hey John, you I know you've been involved with lean and six sigma at, at a lot of stages of your career, whether it's a, a formal Six Sigma initiative or a very informal lean initiative where we never talk about lean. Um, I know this, this has been one of, the, one of the hot buttons that you've had for a long time as well. Well, you know, I think that's right. And, and um, I'll be candid, Keith, over the course of my career, a lot of times um, – when people think about lean, they think about the parts end of the business. They think about the service end of the business. They think about uh, fixed operations. And uh, But I would say that a lot of those concepts and the implementation, uh, Mark, may not fit the textbook uh, definition of lean, but the 
you know, the objectives can be applied on the variable operation side of the business, eliminating waste, eliminating redundancy, providing documentation so that there's clear accountability. All these concepts apply on the variable operations and, and in the, in the pro, uh, projects that we do for some of our clients as well. Absolutely. And I, I think both of, or all three of us would agree that uh, while it's, well, this is, this stuff sounds great. At the end of the day, there's got to be an ROI on it. And I think the, the ROI on, on, uh, on any of these engagements where we're, uh, where we're in, doing it as a, a used truck engagement or a parts engagement or whatever it is that, that, uh, that level of ROI is just immense. And Mark, I, I, I would assume you would agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, in fact, wasn't, it was originally invented or, or developed for manufacturing and we're not really in the manufacturing business, uh, with our clients. That's uh, right. However, it's been adapted to all types of businesses, including, including customer service businesses. And that's probably the, uh, uh, the biggest aspect of any commercial dealership is to focus on customer service and delivering value. Yeah. And John, I would imagine the same for you. Yes. The results that you get. So. Yeah, that's right, Keith. Well, with that being said, we do have a special guest with us today. Um, we'll let Casey introduce himself here in a minute and tell us more about what he does. And, and Mark, I know you've got a series of questions you'd like to, to ask Casey about, but you know, when we talked about this virtual environment, the virtual um, um, roles and relationships that we're, we're working with right now with our customers, I know that, that Casey was going to, uh, supposed to be at, at one of our larger customers to do a, a discovery, which is the beginning point of any intervention where we learn what's going on in the department. It's a lot of self-discovery for the uh, for the department or dealership people. I think Casey was supposed to be on site with this customer. I think it was maybe the first week of March, if I remember right, maybe the third of March, fourth of March, something like that. And and um, the week before that happened, he had a call from the customer saying, "Hey." Never mind. Don't come up. We uh, we we want you to uh, to do this remotely. Do it virtually. And we scrambled and put the uh, with the customer put together the the, the uh, meeting room. Put together the the uh, software and the cameras and everything else. And it's a three day gig to go through a, a virtual or to go through a discovery. And uh, Casey successfully led that discovery for three days, and uh, it went really well. And to a point that uh, the customer said, "Hey, we've got thirty other locations. We'd like you to spend an hour, an hour uh, with each location." Um, and I think Casey did that. Casey and his team did that uh, the week of the twenty-third of, of April. And uh, so, not only is Casey uh, practicing lean and six Sigma with, with our customers. Um, a lot of this virtual environment that we're working in, Casey and his team started that with us and we're having really good success with it. So, uh, Casey is the director of, of our advisors. Uh, it's Casey Shire and Casey, 
Welcome to the uh, Three Wise Guys, Wise <laughs> Truck Guys podcast. We're glad to have you. Hey, I appreciate that, Keith. I really do. Um, it's uh, it's an honor to be part of the Three Wise Guys, and maybe you know, in forty years when I'm old like you, Alice, I can uh, <laughs> be part of the be part hey, of the Three hey, Wise Guys. Watch yourself, young man. Uh-huh. That's right. I I will tell you, uh, John and Mark, that our IQ. The average IQ of this group probably just went up because Casey's involved with us. So, uh, so welcome again, Casey. Uh, you want to give them a little, give our, give our uh, audience a little bit of background on on why you're here and uh, um, maybe a little bit more about that virtual engagement that that you've been doing uh, over the last two months. Sure. No, I'd be glad to. Um, why am I here? I'm here because you guys sent me an invitation to this podcast, so I figured that... No, no, I'm just kidding. So, um, well, you know, Mark Martinsik, you know, one of the wise guys, he's been my mentor uh, for a very long time and, um, and learned these principles of lean, um, gosh, probably more than 10 years ago, but they weren't really called lean and at least not that I knew of. Right. And, um, that being said, um, have used these principles everywhere I've gone, uh, since then and have had the opportunity to work for key advisors here for the last six years and work with a lot of different customers and clients and, um, and seen some amazing successes, um, using, using these principles basically. And, uh, but, uh, with this COVID-19 and having to switch to this virtual environment, um, it's been quite a change. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit fearful at first saying, you know, I'm so used to being in front of customers and, and doing things, doing things live because I, you know, when I'm in front of a group, I have so much passion and, and how am I going to get that? that, that emotional passion and, and engagement to, to my, to the audience and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, when, when, uh, this customer out West decided that, you know, we were going to do these three days, three days virtual, this, this discovery, which is a very, very in-depth, um, process. And we have workbooks and, you know, we're, we're doing calculations and we're having, you know, small group discussions and so on and so forth. I was like, you know, it, I, I was I was concerned, but honestly, it it was a home run, and um, the reviews afterwards were I don't think that you could have done or we could have done a better job if you were not if you were here on site. Um, the benefits of this, however, were uh, originally when we set this up, this was going to be a a, a three day discovery at one specific location. And we were able to bring in two or th- uh, we were able to bring in two separate locations for that meeting and do it simultaneously. Um, so and then since then, as as uh, as Keith described, we ended up doing a an hour meeting for each of their other, you know, 30 locations. And we'll probably continue to do stuff on a more virtual basis because of, you know, w- when you're traveling, you lose a day and. A day on the front side and a day on the back side, and and um, I mean, there's just a massive convenience factor in being able to touch more people in uh, in a shorter amount of time, and 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 have more time to, to do that. So, um, so that was uh, very successful. 
Good. Well, thanks, Casey. And we're again, we're we're appreciative of you taking time out of your schedule to to join us. So, Mark, with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this to you. Um, I know I know you had some questions that you wanted to to ask Casey about, and John, I'll let you and myself listen, and we'll chime in as as we see fit. So, Mark, it's perfect. All, all right, sounds great. So, so Casey, uh, uh, you mentioned that. Uh, back in the days when you were in a dealership and we met each other that I never mentioned the word lean or uh, Six Sigma. Why do you think that was? Um, because those are big, scary words. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay. And, and mm-hmm. particularly, particularly uh, in, in a specific department, sometimes uh, it, it sets the wrong perception. Okay. But when you reflect on it, you can see that that we were focusing on these, on these, and and as we go through, I, I just want to talk about each of the five steps and let you talk about how you, how you manage that, how you accomplish that. But uh, the way I look at it, the way I've always looked at it is, is this is about those five steps: identify value, map the value stream, create flow, establish pool, and and then continue the cycle. Is focused technically on the customer's needs. And we do that, but once we identify the customer needs, then the customer becomes the team that's trying to get this done, and they change slightly. So, again, that's that's kind of what we're going to be talking about. Okay, um, uh, Keith mentioned uh, or John did, you know, formalized Lean Six Sigma. We we typically don't do a lot of the graphs and charts and the math in front of the customer. Uh, and and uh, depending on the type of engagement, sometimes it's done behind the scenes. Sometimes it's done in other formats, okay, uh, for the sake of efficiency and cost and so forth. But we are able to achieve results. Obviously, or we wouldn't have been doing this for the 18 years or so that that Keith and I have been together and, and the team. So I'm gonna start with identifying value. So to that point, okay, there's identifying value to the customer of doing this. But there's also identifying value to the dealership and the team and the individuals in doing this. So talk a little bit about the different things that you do in the in the field uh, to get those two things accomplished. Sure. Glad to. Um, So when I when I look at uh, identifying value from a customer's perspective um, and then from our client's perspective, I, you know, our customers care about more than anything, you know, what, what we call dwell time, right? Which we measure from open, the repair order open to that technician's last punch. And there's not an OEM out there that's not pushing dwell time and and uh, there's measurements to the dealer on that and so on and so forth. Because ultimately, if, you know, ultimately that asset is, is costing serious money if it's sitting in a dealership. Um, so, so from a customer standpoint, we look at, we look at, uh, you know, how do we decrease the dwell time? How do we do decrease the amount of time that that asset is in in a dealership? And you know, so establishing that value and the and the importance of that to to our customers is absolutely vital. Um, and it's not just one thing; it's all the things that go into that cause that vehicle to have dwell time. All the communication. Uh, waiting for parts, um, you know, information, uh, finding the asset, finding the truck. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of things, 
you know, that we focus on during that process. Um, and then from a dealer standpoint, the, the lower my dwell time, you know, and we've, we've proven this a hundred times over, the more profitable, the more proficient um, the customer or the client or the dealership is going to be. There's no question. They, they go hand in hand. Because it creates capacity, right? Correct. It creates cast, uh, capacity. And then, you know, your number three here, it creates flow, right? Right. Um, so, you know, for my first step is, you know, that identifying value is really that self-discovery process of them discovering the opportunities, discovering the, the areas of waste, um, you know, and then we absolutely, I mean, we get into leadership as well. And, and, you know, I teach and preach servant leadership, which is nothing more than turning that pyramid upside down and, and focusing on the success of the employees instead of anything else. Cause if my employees are successful, my customer is going to be successful. And in turn, my dealership is going to be successful. And, um, and, and that's all a big part of establishing that pool, bringing it up from the bottom. Right. That's correct. Okay. So it's getting the buy-in. Yep. So, so if we talk a minute about mapping the value stream and in lean or, or six Sigma mapping a value stream is a very stringent, uh, a process of, of measuring every step in the process and identifying it as value to the customer or things that need to be done to provide the value to the customer or pure waste. Okay. And you mentioned a few of those finding the truck, finding the keys, waiting at the back parts counter and so forth. Okay. And the biggest one obviously is internal communications. And and I think we both believe that internal communications drive a, a great ex, exterior or, uh, uh, communications to the clients. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So while we don't always build a value stream map, you're identifying value to the customer and efficiency, which becomes value, creating flow becomes value to the client. Okay, is that done in the discovery or is it started in the discovery and then built on with the implementation or the intervention? Um, Well, we do the initial, you know, as far as like a standard operating procedure process, um, we do that initial identification during that discovery process um, but when I when we go into actually building that 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 and mapping that value stream, um, I try to get as many people and and as, as big of an audience as I can. Um, you know, my my opinion is is that the people closest to the problem or closest to the you know the, what we're trying to drive need to be involved in this um, in this process. So. You know, having, um, you know, if I'm doing a service department, having an advisor in the room, having a foreman in the room, having the service managers um, from, you know, if it's a multi-rooftop location or dealership, which is usually what we're working with, um, you know, and developing what that process is going to be based on, um, you know, servant leadership mentality, but ultimately based on, our customers needs and, and increasing or decreasing our dwell time and increasing our flow. Right. So if we're focused on, on dwell time, which is the biggest part of the customer's downtime, which is really value. Uh, there's a lot of other value that we provide, but, 
but one of the main focuses these days, okay? Identifying and categorizing waste and then trying to remove it from our process and so forth becomes very important. Uh, our statistics show uh, industry-wide, we're holding a truck for about four days of dwell time, and yet 80% or more of the repair orders are four hours or less, okay, which is obviously a lot of waste in the process. And, and, and some, some of it's legitimate, uh, but, but pure waste can be removed. So what's, what's the biggest areas of waste? I know you do most of your work in service, okay, and leadership, but looking strictly at a service department, what's the biggest areas of waste that you see and how do you eliminate them? Um, geez, biggest area of waste and how do we eliminate them? So I'm thinking, you know, our biggest area of waste is, you know, you mentioned it earlier, is that internal communication and all of the steps in between there. So, um, you know, you, you said it takes us four days, almost five days to get a four hour repair done. Why is that? What are we, what are, what are all the things that are happening in between that, that job, um, that's causing that, that lack of flow and that, and that, uh, that waste. And, um, I know you used to go in these dealers and, and during these discoveries and offer the service manager, uh, you know, a, a bottle of coffee. Yeah. Say a cup of coffee, a cup of coffee with a little bit, you know, a little bit harder than coffee. Thank you, Mark. And, um, you know, to see if you can go out in your shop and find more than 50% of your technicians in their bay touching a vehicle. And um, it's a very, very rare occurrence that we or you lose that bet, right? And the question comes in is, what are we paying our technicians to do? Because we're paying them to do something that's keeping them out of the bay. Whether that's, you know, waiting for information, waiting for authorization, waiting for parts to be delivered, standing at that front parts counter, um, so, you know, r really that's, that's the key, but, you know, just thinking of time, uh, you know, all we sell in service is time and expertise and just thinking of just changing the mindset of, Hey, time is inventory. And, um, because honestly you find that most of our dealers don't think of time as their inventory. And, um, you know, you, you know, you're the ice man, right? Because everybody, everybody uh, knows the ice story, even in other countries, as we, as you found out, that's a funny story. Um, but uh, yeah, j I think, I think that's the key. So, hey, and hey, hey, John, you know, I'm listening to time. Uh, Casey, talk about time. Doesn't that, isn't time a big component of, of the of the inventory on the on the variable ops side too. Yes, in fact, it shows up as floor plan interest expense, which is the prototypical definition of waste. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I get, I would guess also on the used truck side, it's it's the valuation changes that happen as well. You know, uh, so Keith, it's it's kind of a combination of a lot of things, right? But. But certainly, uh, time marches on, and every day that truck sits on the lot that it's not available for retail sale, it probably has an impact on the uh, on the value of that equipment as well. Yes, and and that's true whether you're paying for plan interest expense or whether you you fund your used truck inventory out of working capital. Right. 
you're, you're losing on both ends of the equation. You're paying interest in or or the opportunity cost of capital, and the and the market is marching away from you. Right. No, no, no. It really, you know, to that point, it, it exists in the accounting department. It exists in every department and, and probably every business. And and it's the reason that lean cycle is a cycle is because you're the, the whole idea of lean is continuous improvement and and always finding ways to make things flow better remove waste more and so forth okay so so to that point okay we, we we've kind of mapped the value stream and so forth we've identified it and i know that you've got them to buy into that as you've done it that's really part of the uh, initially part of the discovery process and then ongoing through the intervention okay so creating flow I would assume is all about process, okay? Uh, uh, once we've identified the ways, trying to streamline the process, how do you build a process, okay, for, for any department? Uh, obviously, you're working in service, but John, I would appreciate you to chime in here as well. But how do you build a process to create flow or continuing movement and, and services efficiently? Yeah, and that's and I was and I kind of started answering that question in the last last little segment there, but but honestly, I I try to get as many people involved in that as possible, right? And we start with, um, and I I specifically start with them mapping out what they're currently doing today, okay, and then um, you know from there we look at what is the best practice to create that flow. Um, to decrease dwell time, to, to keep our technicians in their, in their bays. Um, you know, how do we facilitate that? And, um, you know, I do everything in my, in my ability or power to try to make it their idea, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I know what we want to get to, but it needs to be their idea and it needs to be their plan um, so that we have the engagement and the enthusiasm and the want and the desire to to take this thing and push it forward. So um, that's really the start of it. Yeah, uh, that's a great answer, Casey. One of the things that I find is I get into engagements uh, and, and, in, and in the spirit of trying to create flow is most dealers don't have a process flow map or even a generic description of how they think work gets done. And, uh, and the processes that get done in the service department are different than the used truck department. But to me, that's the beginning. You know, let's, let's understand what it is we're trying to accomplish here. How do we think that gets done today? What are the hangups that, that, that get in the way of work being done efficiently? Usually when I come into one of the engagements, that's, that's what the beginning is for me. In order to try and create flow is understanding what the current process is, how it works, and what the what the log jams and the inefficiencies in the current process are. That, that might be how I'd respond to that question. Absolutely. Again, it's for every department. Casey, I know you create uh, something called a, a process audit. Once you, once you get buy-in and, and sign off and they actually develop their own process, okay, you create process audit. I kind of view that as that cycle because there's no way they're going to do, do everything on that that uh, process all at once. Okay, so you've got to break it down. That's really about continuous improvement. How do you use the audit and what do you see as the benefits of that? Right, well, and I'm glad you asked that question, Mark. Um, so, 
you know, you know, rewind back, uh, you know, four or five years ago, I would go in and we, we would install these processes and, and we'd build the process and install the process, but I had no way of really measuring um, how well we were implementing and how well the dealership was, was actually following the process, right? And, you know, they, they say you can't measure, you know, you can't improve what you can't measure. Um, so we really needed a way to do that. So we came up with this SOP audit, Standard Operating Procedure Audit document. And really what it does is it, it lays out the entire process from, from start to finish, write up, triage, um, quick repair, repair, you know, the whole, whole nine yards. And it breaks it up into tiny little segments. Um, so, you know, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, and so on and so forth. And then um, what we do or what, what we try to do is on a biweekly basis, um, go in and score this audit. And, and honestly, it gives you a, it's really a gap analysis document to see, you know, what your current state is versus what the future state is, but it allows us to be very laser focused on specific areas. So for instance, if I'm doing an audit on the write-up process um, and I have seven separate sections in that, um, and and maybe meeting the customer in the lane, I'm, I, I score a 20% on or something like that, but everything else we're doing really well, I can be very laser focused to bring that specific score up in that area. Um, but, and then we actually trend that over, over time by rooftop to see, you know, where, where we need to, so, so we can be laser focused on who we need to be helping. So, so to that point, okay, does the manager do that audit? Or do you have everyone do it and discuss it? Or, or how do you get it accomplished? Yeah, I mean, t honestly, typically it's, it depends on the, it depends on the dealership group. Um, I like having a GM do it or having a, an area director do it or, um, you know, but the one thing that you have to do is you have to teach how to perform the audit so that we have consistency amongst the audit because there is some gray there um but um you know they the the serve the department leader department manager should be focusing on an area uh on a weekly bi-weekly monthly basis and they should be doing their own self audits but for a more formal you know on a more formal level you know that gm or area director or so on and so forth would be performing those audits. So breaking it down into sections, okay, write-up section, triage section, or diagnosis, and so forth, uh, again, reinforces that cycle that we keep going through it to try and perfect each section. Okay, Keith, I know that uh, service is a lot harder than, than parts, okay? Uh, I think we've established that in previous podcasts, okay? <laughs> um, uh, certainly, we've been arguing about it for going on 20 years, okay? What about the parts department? Okay, once you establish a process, how do you how do you measure it? How do you maintain it? First, first of all, if you'll remember back, <clears throat> I did service as well, and I chose to let you take that over because you were you you needed something easy to do. So uh, my, memory, I, I, <laughs> my memory doesn't go there, but go ahead. <laughs> so parts parts is pretty similar to Casey and to, and to John's. You know the thing that the thing that uh, we find on the parts side that is really difficult to get across to 
um, to a parts manager or a dealer is they get the idea of obsolescence over 12, over 13 with no movement. But that time frame in between of, of a part not moving, there's a cost to that part. And I mean, right now, the, the, the holding cost of a part is pretty low. But our big, our big task, and Casey touched on this, um, and, and I think it, it aligns with even John's comments on the value of the, of the used truck being impacted by time. Um, our big take on, on parts is, is really uh, probably threefold. One is, one is what we're going to call inventory accuracy. And so the typical response about how accurate your inventory is, and we define that as being on the, the right count, uh, on the shelf, on the right shelf, um, and that, that that aligns with what the business system says. Um, that accuracy of the inventory for most dealers is, is fairly low. Um, you know, they'll, get, they'll give you an estimate that it's 90%, and, and history would tell us that it's not anywhere close to that. But even if it's 90%, think about, think about the number of calls that they get in a day, the number of part numbers you look up in the day, 10% is a big, big variance. And, you know, when you're talking about trying to establish online um, sales efforts to, to, to go order and, and buy parts, have your customers buy parts online, um, to centralize phone rooms where they're removed from the, the department and the inventory, and you're relying on what you see on the screen you don't have the ability to say, hold on a minute, let me go check the bin to make sure it's here. You're relying upon an immediate um, affirmation that the part's here. So, you know, we push that to be 98% at a minimum, that it's on the right shelf with the right quantity, which means there's a whole bunch of processes, and John used the term the way they do work. There's a whole lot of stuff that, that ends up being found in the discovery of how you do work and the perception typically doesn't align with what reality is the second piece of it is now not just is the part in the right quantity on the right shelf but is it in the right quantity that's needed to do to support the demand and so now that that takes on another piece so now it's right part in the right quantity on the right shelf at the right time and the, the last piece of this is trying to tie out to the general ledger. And that brings its own um, hiccups and, and, and concerns. And so you, you end up having um, you know, probably three main areas of, of managing an inventory. And when you get to the point that the inventory works, several things happen. Uh, Casey talked about, you know, about uh, capacity. Um, that, that this throughput is about capacity and, and getting, the, getting the, uh, the dwell time reduced as much as you can. When we look at a parts inventory, it's about getting the fewest number of pieces on the shelf, but having the right number of pieces on the shelf for what is demanded out of the inventory. And one of the biggest challenges, Mark, that we run into now in addition to those three items that I talked to you about before in terms of the quantity being right, the demand being right, and, and getting it um, synced with the general ledger, 
is you have a, a, a component that's, that is outside the control of, of the parts manager. And that's the vendor managed inventory piece. And that piece is putting inventory into their inventory. So it's, it's automatically stocking from the, from the vendor, from the manufacturer. And what's happened over time is that the, the, at first there was a response of, we don't want that. But of course, as with any program, there's, you get benefits, we'll say tied to using that, that tool from the manufacturer. And so now it's become where it's a hundred percent reliance on that tool without a, a uh, sanity check in it. And so building the process flow and the value stream map to manage both these inventories, what's, what's managed in the DMS, in the business system, combined with what's coming in from the manufacturer, you've got a set of, a set of process maps and, and daily audits, to Casey's point, daily audits that you just have to do. You know, if, if, if you think you're going to cycle count once a month and check negative on hands and check stock outs and check uh, open orders and, and all these things that we talk about on a once a month basis, you're not doing anything to benefit yourself. And it's really become a daily ritual, a daily routine of, of engaging in that department in the inventory to make the inventory work. That's great stuff. John, anything uh, from variable ops or OE ops and so forth that you can add to it? Is that you know, there? so here's the question I'm going to address, Mark, because you and Casey had started on a, a discussion about the metric audits, inventory audits, uh, process management audits, who's who's accountable for those? And, and I think we kind of glanced over that really quick. One, one of the things that's been my experience is, you know, I've seen you and Casey do uh, reviews before, and, and the engagement of the people is so important, and the ownership and the buy-in and process changes that happen as a result of some of the initial setup work that we do is so important. But in my opinion, and one of the, the differences between winning and losing on some of the engagements that, that I've seen have been a part of is, you know, when you when you don't have the people that are doing the work responsible for the process audits and the metric reviews, um, it, it kind of takes away from what you've been trying to accomplish because they don't necessarily feel the ownership and, and the responsibility. You know, that's one of the key things that's missing in an awful lot of dealerships is, is accountability and accountability for process management is right there on top of the list of things that has to happen if you're going to have a successful business. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably answering a different question, but, but I've been kind of sitting on this one for a couple of minutes and I wanted to come back and talk about that because it doesn't matter whether it's parts or whether it's service or whether it's uh, uh, variable operations. If you're going to be making process changes to improve the uh, consistency of your business and the efficiency of your business, you got to have buy-in and your people have to be responsible for managing those processes going forward. Yeah, you're absolutely right, John. And it, it's almost like we planned this. And believe me, everybody, we don't we don't plan these podcasts, okay? Uh, because the next step is pulling, which is all about leadership and engagement and pulling it up from, from your team, okay? And I know Casey, I know I do, and I know Casey does have, depending on the client, uh, uh, all members of the team, occasionally at least, do um, do process audits as well. What's interesting when we do that is everyone has a little bit different score 
and it gives you an opportunity to talk about that and engage and so forth. Uh, but sometimes, but the, but the main thing is, is that it happens. Now, once it happens, if it's done by upper management, how they ad address the opportunities found to the people becomes very, very critical. And that's what pool is all about. Okay, uh, not overproduction in one area, not 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 triaging in the service department everything really, really fast, and not have the capacity to do the quick repairs, the rapid repairs, or or setting it back outside for days before we can get it into the shop and so forth. So managing managing that capacity in each area to the demand is very important. So Casey, you know we that there's. There's, uh, in my opinion, and I want your honest opinion. In my opinion, the the uh, uh, five ex the five disciplines of execution, or was it seven disciplines of execution? What was it, Keith? Okay, we read that book. Okay, <laughs> but uh, one minute manager, four, uh, four, four disciplines of execution. Okay, uh, one minute manager from good to great. Uh, uh, John Maxwell training, which you've been through, other leadership training programs, and so forth. Okay, all the the core, the foundation to all of that, is what what uh, Deming developed with the help of a lot of other people uh, a, a long, long time ago, before before you all were born, but not necessarily before I was born. All right. <laughs> so, uh, having said that, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that whole leadership, uh, and maybe to John's point, if a GM or or a manager is doing that audit. How should they get back to the team to ensure that buy-in and that inclusiveness, okay, uh, and 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 make sure they understand what I keep calling the operational awareness. What what is it we're trying to accomplish? I believe we need to accomplish it to make my life better, my customers' life better, and and what are my specific roles and so forth. That that whole concept of leadership, because it drives directly to pull. Yeah, um, and that. Having said that, that was a long, long question. I'll give you thirty seconds to answer. No, just kidding. Yeah, I was. I was gonna wonder. I was wondering when you were gonna stop talking. So, but we all know you. If if we know who Mark Martinsic is, that's a very rare occasion. So, anyway, um, I'm, honestly, that's probably the biggest challenge that we encounter is that whole change management piece, right? Getting, getting us to getting, getting the team to change behavior. Um, and yes, going through uh, John Maxwell's certifications and, and disc profile certifications, 61% of the population are high S personalities and high S personalities. Their, their greatest fear is change. So knowing that right off the bat, you know, we, we have to overcome that. Um, so, you know, my best, my best analysis or best guess with that question is, you know, and I said it earlier, that whole servant leadership mentality, people need to know that you care before they care what you know. Okay. And, um, really doing that intentionally, um, so why am I asking you guys to change your behavior? Why am I asking you to do something differently than you did yesterday? Am I doing it because I want to put money to my bottom line? Or am I doing it because I want you to not go home stressed and feeling sick in your stomach and then having anxiety about coming in the next day? Um, and ultimately, that's a lot of our cases. I mean, we, we literally have people sick about coming to work because 
because it's just it's just chaos. And um, and what we're trying to do is organize the chaos to make our team successful and and ultimately our customers successful, then our company successful. So um, after an audit is typically done and we try not to take on the whole thing at once, um, there, there needs to be clear action items that are that are given. Um, you know, we go back to, the, you know, Stephen Covey um, from X to Y by when uh, what, you know, and, and they need to be actionable and they need to be time dated and they need to be given, you know, to specific people. Um, and we can't, you know, and we, we call them wig, we call them wigs and they can't be one. Or they can't be 10 different things or 15 different things. It has to be, you know, one, two, maybe three tops of areas that we're going to focus on over the next, you know, maybe it's five days, maybe it's 10 days, depending on, on, on what's trying to be accomplished and, and we need to be reporting on it every day. Um, you know, whether it's a five, 10 minute little powwow, um, Hey, what, what worked yesterday? What didn't work yesterday? And how do we push this thing forward a little bit, uh, tomorrow and, and, and just have that continuous improvement, um, in the back of our heads. Um, you know, if, if, if we're not stretching ourselves and if we're not putting ourselves in an uncomfortable position, um, we have no ability to grow and, um, you know, in doing that intentionally and communicating that intentionally, um, ultimately trying to change culture, um, you know, it's, it's not just one thing. It's a whole bunch of little things, but, but, um, really it's, it's centered around people. That's great, Casey. Thank you very much. Okay. I, I believe that uh, leadership is, is critical, not only to how much can we improve, but how fast can we improve and by involving the people. Mm -hmm. Do you see the same thing in parts? Oh, certainly. And it's and the, the leadership comes from, uh, I'm going to ask John to chime in on this one too. Um, but the leadership comes from, it's got to come from from the dealer principal, and and they have to they have to be engaged in this process. Now that does not mean that they're there every single day, but uh, you know if if the if the understanding of, of what's happening in the parts department, on a parts department in, engagement is not is not going up to the to the to the uh, DP and and also. Um, if those other people that are not impacted by it, so you know, certainly service is impacted by a parts engagement, accounting is. If they're not at least understanding what's happening on those, it really becomes hard to get traction on it, uh, almost impossible. And John, I would imagine, from your experience, you you have lots of lots of observations like that, where the where a service department or a used truck department or lease and rental or whatever that is, is tasked with improving, but the dealer principal is not engaged with it and it ultimately fails. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, I think there's different levels of engagement too, Keith, right? To, yeah. to, to the point that you're trying to make here, right? You, you know, you can be passively supportive and, and say, but if you're not deeply, intimately passionately engaged as a dealer principal in this process, and people are going to know it's kind of an exercise and it's probably not going to get the traction that you're hoping for. Yep. 
Yeah, absolutely. In the in the old days, we called that when the dealer came back from uh, a twenty the twenty groups. <laughs> it was the program of the month, right? Put up with it long enough, and it'll go away. And and yep. that's the biggest killer of any change initiative is to lose focus on it. Okay. Well, uh, look, Mark, and in these trying times too, right? The none of this is without investment, right? And so your your organization also gets uh, gets a look for how committed you are to process improvement and change. If uh, if all these initiatives get uh, truncated and terminated, right, in a little right. bit of stormy weather, right. And to Casey's point, you've got to focus on on less. Less becomes more, so that you can execute. And and that's what this cycle is all about. And that's what number five was: it's continuous improvement. Okay, you're constantly going back to the first step and starting the next transformation project. Okay, and that's continual. It's never ending. Okay, uh, Casey, John, uh, Keith, any comments on that as we wrap this up? I, I think I think your point, Mark, of just the that this is, and I I I sometimes I sometimes uh, I don't know what the right word is. Almost like the the nails scratching on a blackboard when when somebody refers to what we do as a quote program. I mean, it's not a program. It's it is a culture change, and it's a, you know, there's not a there's a definite start date on it, but there's no end date on it, and and I think that you know our challenge has always been, when we exit, they have to keep going, because it, if if they're not engaged, and if and you know to John's point, the 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 the, the level and passion of integration or not integration of of uh, engagement is just so crucial for for keeping this going after Casey's quote done you know Casey Casey takes this so far and then it's up to the it's up to the dealership personnel to, to carry this forward and Mark I think that last piece is so so important and probably one we don't talk about nearly enough you know Mark I, I would also echo what you just said you know, my experience has been whether it's dealer principles or OEMs or whatever it might be, everybody's looking for instant pudding. Everybody's looking for this to be easy. Everybody's looking for the big bang out there. And the biggest and most important thing I think we do is we come in and we talk about, hey, these are this is about small steps in the right direction. This is about little victories successively lined up in a row. And, the, and lean is the compass that gives you the direction that we're going and where those steps need to be, where that next step needs to be. So, you know, this is not about uh, something that's going to be fast. It's it's absolutely not easy, and it's certainly not instant pudding. It's small steps in the right direction. Instant pudding. Interesting. 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 It's not good, and it's not good for you. And I would argue process <laughs> management. <laughs> <laughs> process management that looks like instant pudding is not good and it's not good for you. That's right. Or your business. Yeah. Well, Mark, thanks a lot for taking the lead on this. And John, appreciate, uh, as always, your wisdom ch chiming in. And I mean, there's fun to have you with us here today, Casey. Glad you could join us. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, appreciate thank you, Casey. Well, gentlemen, with that being said, um, we've had another successful hour. Hopefully, people find this as interesting as, as we thought it was. So uh, maybe in, in uh, 
June, we'll be able to actually do this and not be hunkered down in our bunkers. So uh, be able to get back out on the road and do some of our work. So Casey, thanks again for joining us. Mark, John, appreciate as always your wisdom. All right. uh, Three wise truck guys over and out. Thanks for listening to Three Wise Truck Guys, the podcast from Key Advisors.